Today, um, we are not in a sermon series. We'll be in one next week, but we call this a standalone sermon, and I love standalone sermons uh, because um, I get to kind of choose what I'd like to address today. And today, I'd like to address a topic that I'm going to put under the title of Singing Lives from a passage uh, in Romans that we'll be reading, and we're going to read it this morning since it's a standalone sermon from Eugene Peterson's Bible translation, The Message. So you can follow along today, Romans 15, 1 through 6, in your pew Bibles, but you may be lost because uh, Eugene Peterson has a very unique way of stating Scripture. And today I want to use some of his strong metaphors and language to bring forth this message today. Dr. Stuart uh, Briscoe who's a pastor and author, also authored the Roman section of Communicator's Commentary of the Bible. And he said about this particular passage that one of the greatest motivational factors is the inbuilt desire that all people have to please themselves. This quite naturally leads to all kinds of selfishness and independence responsible for many of society's ills. The renewed mind of the believer leads to a different motivational factor, which is the development of a ministering mentality. A ministering mentality. And today we're going to look at Romans, the 15th chapter, and and we're going to see Paul bring forth this ministering mentality. He's dealing with the duties that we in the Christian fellowship, and particularly those early Christians, should have one with another. You know, it was said about the early church that they were known for their love. They'll know we're Christians by our love. And they took very seriously uplifting the truth of Christ and the love of Christ to transform the world. Paul was particularly interested in how we love those in our midst, our brothers and sisters, uh, who may be weaker and who may need an extra measure of uh, God's grace and, and, and reminder of God's presence as they are struggling in life. So this passage gives us a portrait of a dependably steady and warm personal God who develops spiritual maturity within the community. Christian fellowship is marked by the way we consider the needs of others. So turn with me to the 15th chapter of Romans. Beginning with the first verse, we're going to read the first six verses. Will you stand for the reading of God's word? From the message. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, 
but waded right in and helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled is the way Scripture puts it. Even if it was written in Scripture long ago, you can be sure it's written in us now. God wants the combination of his steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in Scripture to come to characterize us, keeping us alert for whatever he will do next. May our dependability, steady and warmly personal God, develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus did get along with us. Then we'll be a choir, not our voices only, but our very lives singing in harmony in a stunning anthem to the God and Father and Master Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I love the way Peterson puts it. In essence, he says, respond to others in the name of Jesus. Step up, wade in, help out. And I love it when he states the Christian understanding that strength is for service, not status. But my favorite analogy that he gives is that we will be like that choir, our very lives singing a stunning anthem to God in harmony. Now, if that's not a beautiful image of the church, I don't know what is. That our lives will be a stunning anthem singing together in harmony. And most of all, I love the image of the church as singing lives. You know, there's a member of this church who is a godsend to me. Nearly every week, it's not always on Sunday or Monday, sometimes it's in the middle of the week, this member will call me, this week it was on a Tuesday, and he says, Brother Stan, I was just thinking about you today. And I know he prays every day because he prays across the street every morning. He's been doing it for, oh, decades. He said, is there anything I can do to help you? Is there anything you need me to be praying about for you this week? You know, he is saying that he cares about what's going on with me. And I'm sure I'm not the only one he calls, but he calls me. And, and when he does, it, it reminds me of a singing life that makes a difference in my life. And I just ask us the question, what if every member of our church, including my friend whom I just mentioned, had a Christian friend like that who would remind them of their love for them and their care for them and reach out in such a way, maybe a call, maybe a card, maybe just a walk across the room into the other office or wherever to say, I was thinking about you. Is there anything I can pray for you about today? 
That's the kind of step up, wade in, help out in the name of Jesus activity that the church is to be about. This is that harmony when you have members, multiple members of the body picking each other up in this particular way that makes such a difference in the lives of others. I believe people would want to be part of such a church as that. I believe that the spirit of such a church as that and the harmony of that singing lives congregation would be so attractive that people would want to say, count me in. I'm going to be stepping up and wading in and helping out in the name of Jesus right alongside you because I love the way that makes a difference in my life. You know, a singing life church is a church that's full of truth. And I want to talk just a moment about truth. First, God's steady, constant calling to follow the person of Jesus matures us in faith. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about being matured in faith. And Paul is um, completely and totally sold out to what Jesus said, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. But Paul believes that we are fallen human beings and that we are all in need of God's grace and God's intervention in our lives. And that God, Paul would say, has revealed himself in a perfect way in the person of Jesus, who is truth. And in Jesus Christ, we find this kind of perfect truth that that causes us to understand ourselves in a new light and understand God in the truth of who God is. He is the standard by which all other truth claims to be explained. Now, I must admit, the last few days I've been focused on family matters. Did I tell you our son and his wife, Emily, had a baby? Did did I tell? That happened three weeks ago. And... um, Her name is Claire Marie Copeland. Did I tell y'all that? And her nickname is Claire Bear. And I get to see her this week. I'm just as happy as the Hickeys and the Struthers this morning as grandparents of, of Bodie Wynn. But you know, a lot of this has caused me to think about family itself. I can't believe my son is a parent. Isn't that hard to believe? And yet he is. I mean, he's plenty old enough. He's plenty mature enough. He's going to be a great dad. But I just, it just seemed like yesterday when we were coming to town with a, a, an 11-year-old and how he grew up here. And I remember the day we took him to college, and that's what I really started thinking about. I started thinking about uh, Tammy crying all the way home. Don't tell her that, but she did. But I remember before she cried all the way home, we had a little workshop that we went to at the school, and the workshop was entitled, How Do You Leave Your Kid at School and Drive Away Without Losing It? Well, she failed that class. (laughs) But I remember, Tom, this is at your alma mater too, I remember one administrator who was telling us about the nature of the school and emphasizing the diversity of the school, which is kind of funny. Southwestern University wasn't extremely diverse. But she said that there were 
many different religions represented at the school, and they were all equally true. Now, I believe there is truth to be found in most all religions, and diversity is certainly valued and very important. I love the diversity of this congregation, and I love our emphasis on diversity and ecumenism and reaching out to people of other faiths, engaging them as we have with Abraham's table and our Muslim sisters and brothers, and, and, and also on that day that we had the big celebration in, in, um, in, in the sanctuary where we had members of, of uh, the Muslim fellowship and in, um, in Richardson and also a, a, a rabbi, a female rabbi, and together we came together in the sanctuary that incidentally was, um, was paid for and endowed by a Jewish man. No better place to have such an event as we had. But, but I want to say a word about Christianity and equally true. You know, there's, there's some religions that... that um, are non-theistic. There's there's some religions that that um, that believe that there is not one God but but many God. Now those are not equally true, really. And and therefore it seems logical that a religion cannot lead to God if the religion espouses that there is no God but many gods. And by putting other religions alongside God's revelation of Jesus Christ that Paul is speaking about in Romans, I think that we understand that, that, that all, most all religions contain that strong element of truth, but with some, there may be error. Now, we need to be humble and sensitive. Christians are no better than those of other religions are those who are not religious. We're no better. The God that we celebrated today in baptism as we baptized Bodhi is a God who loves all of us equally, not just Christians, but all people are God's children. We're loved equally, and we all need a Savior, and there is no room for arrogance. We need to be positive and certainly not attack other faiths. Living and speaking the good news about Jesus is important for us. And we should not shrink from that responsibility. We need to always be respectful. Respect everyone in a Christian mindset because we are all made in the very image of God. Therefore, we're brothers and sisters in that regard. We need to be informed and inspired through Scripture. As Paul said it, the warm personal counsel of Scripture will mature us in faith. But to understand Jesus as a Christian, as the way, the truth, and the life, is a truth that we should uplift, not shrink from. That's not to have to say, not to even have to say that others are wrong. That respect is so important, but for us to shrink from the responsibility to uplift the truth of Christ 
And what Christ has shared us about a loving God is a responsibility that makes us a singing life church. We need to be courageous about our singing. A life full of truth of Jesus Christ is that step up, wait in, and help out in the name of Jesus congregation. You know, a singing life church is also full of love. Over and over we've heard it. Love in the name and the spirit of Jesus is the greatest message that we could possibly share. The strongest sermon we could possibly preach and the most life-changing mark that we could possibly leave on another is the very love of God that we as Christians see in Jesus. Sergey, this past week with the Moscow Seminary board meeting over in the Serenity House and I got a chance to um, interact with, with that board a few times. We've got a couple of our members actually on that board. It, it took me back to an experience that I had several years ago. And, and it took me back to a relationship that I had, a relationship in high school actually, um, with, with a young woman who was a senior when I was an eighth grader. Her name was Judy. And no, I didn't have a crush on her or anything like that. But it reminded me of my dear friend Judy and an experience that she had with her husband John in Moscow. Together, Judy and John were two of the strongest Christians that you could ever imagine. Judy was always such a strong Christian through high school. That was one of the things that, that was so attractive about her, was her Christian spirit. She and John together in their marriage were a step up, lend a hand, wade in and help out in the name of Jesus couple. And though I had just heard about John and Judy um, and, and, and something that happened to them in Moscow, I, I remembered about Judy that goes back all the way to my eighth grade year. Now, in Brownsboro High School, where I went to high school, we were in the same district with Wills Point, sissy. We had a marching band, and we were class AA at the time, 2A or whatever you call it, and, and we weren't big enough, you know, to, to have the kind of marching band that our band director wanted unless we let the eighth graders play in the high school band. And we could do that and play football because we practiced football in the middle of the day and, and band practice was at the end of the day. So there was one year, your eighth grade year, that you could play football and march in the high school band. And I did. So Judy was not only the valedictorian of the, the, the senior class, Judy was not only the smartest person in the class, but she was absolutely the best musician in the band. She could play the trumpet, the trombone, the French horn, the baritone. I played the baritone. I was the only one in the band who played the baritone. And the band director knew that there would be some really bad sounds coming out of the baritone section unless he put Judy in the baritone section. <laughs> and so it was Judy 
and stand right there beside each other every day in rehearsal and right there we marched and I remember she'd be whispering under her breath, we're about to turn, we're about to turn. As she would play, she could play and whisper and keep me in line all at the same time. You know, she was the best in the band. I was definitely the worst. And, and you know, what, what I used to say when people would ask me if I played in the marching band, I said, yeah, I play in the marching band, and I'm next to the best player in the band. Get it? I'm next to the best player in the band. But Judy married John, a contractor, and together they built a fine Christian family. Had two daughters. Those two daughters were both in, in college. One of those daughters had married. And Judy and John had heard through their church about a need that there was in Russia to adopt older orphans. And so through a program in their church, they made arrangements to adopt a 10-year-old boy named Gregory who had won their hearts. They committed themselves to adopt this little boy and they committed themselves to uh, bringing him up in the church and being that step in and lend a hand and wade in and help out in the name of Jesus kind of family. And they went to Russia to adopt Gregory and to bring him home to Tyler, Texas. And Judy and John were with Gregory when Judy started feeling bad. And by the time that they got back to the hotel, Judy went into cardiac arrest and died. How could this happen? She was in her 40s. The little Russian boy said that that was the second time he'd seen his mother die in front of him. I read this article about Judy that thousands of people read. Her oldest newlywed daughter said, Mom was a giver. She would take care of everyone before she'd take care of herself. She was a room mother, a cheerleader mom. She taught preschool, Sunday school, as long as I can remember. And she made all of our prom dresses. Another friend said, she always put others first. And then the article concluded, saying that John would go back and adopt Gregory. I will bring him back, I will bring him home, and we'll raise Gregory in our family. And the daughters, Alicia and Katie, they withdrew from Texas A&M, and they came back to Tyler and enrolled at the University of Texas at Tyler just so that they could be there with their dad and help raise their brother, Gregory. And as I was reading this story, I thought I heard some singing, you know? Uh, it wasn't the baritone or the French horn or the trumpet or the trombone, all of which Judy could make beautiful sounds on, but, but it was singing. It was the singing of her Christian life. It was the essence of who she was as part of this beautiful harmony that she had made with her husband John and with their daughters, obviously. And in this Christian family, in that Christian community, their church in Tyler, they were such an example of Christian love. You know, I thought when I was remembering that this week, 
how much I respected and loved Judy and what an example she was for so many of us all the days of her life. I thought about her singing life and I thought about the inspiration that that is to us to be the church of singing lives. To be the church that uplifts the truth of Christ and the love of Christ in all that we do. I thought about what it would be like if this church, one by one of us, committed to be the followers of Christ that uplifted the truth of Christ in the way that we loved and the way that we sang this stunning anthem, this stunning anthem in such harmony together as we wade in, step up, help out in the name of Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, Will you, on this eve of Lent, the season of introspection, will you be ones who will consider where you're going to sit in the choir and how you are going to live out that truth and that love? How you are going to be that step up and wade in and help out Christian and do all in the name of your God, Jesus. Amen.